Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. The rest of you, go ahead and get your Bible open to Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2. There are, uh, in this world, there are two types of people. Uh, There are those who wait until after Thanksgiving to celebrate Christmas. That's when you put up your Christmas decorations. That's when you start playing Christmas music. That's when you start watching Christmas movies. And then there are those who start way too early, uh, like August. Uh, I am the first kind. I do not watch Christmas movies. I do not listen to Christmas music. I don't put up Christmas decorations until after we finish the turkey at Thanksgiving. Uh, My wife is the other kind. She would watch Christmas movies all year long. Uh, She would have Christmas music playing in the middle of July. We're at the beach and she's singing Jingle Bell Rock. Uh, so over the years, uh, we've compromised. Uh, I allow her to do whatever she wants and kind of grin and bear it. Now she, she has actually gotten better where she doesn't really, uh, start the Christmas stuff until about October now. And uh, I can hold her off until usually November 1st. And, uh, then it's like, well, you can watch Christmas movies and you can listen to Christmas music, but not when I'm home. And so we've kind of done that, but no matter, no matter who, wh- who you are, whether you're, you know, the Christmas comes early whenever I feel like it, or you're those who are right with the Lord and wait until after Thanksgiving, uh, Christmas is here. It is now the Christmas season, and uh, I think you have five weeks until Christmas Day, uh, or four weeks, four, four Sundays until, oh my Lord, uh, <laughs> All right, we're going to dismiss in prayer so I can get Amazon.com going. Uh, No, Uh, you've you've only got a few weeks until Christmas, but Christmas is finally here. And in the church, uh, during the the, the Christmas season, uh, here we celebrate something called Advent. Uh, Advent is a, a, a season of time in the life of a church where... We, we look deeper into the meaning of Christmas, deeper into just uh, going through the Christmas story or those things. Those, those are great. I'm not saying those are irrelevant and those aren't important, but Advent uh, is a time where we, we look forward to what's going to happen in the church. It's, it's really, uh, at Advent, we kind of stand as believers today. We live between two realities. We look back to the truth that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to us, God in the flesh, born in a manger in Bethlehem, and God fulfilled his promise to send a Savior, to send the Messiah, and he came in the form of Jesus. And we, we look back to that fulfillment of the promise of God, but we also look forward to the promise that God gave us when he ascended to heaven where he said, I will come again. We, we look back to the time he first came and we look forward to the time he's coming again. Advent literally means arrival. 
And so we are celebrating and remembering and thanking God for the two arrivals we see in Scripture. The promise fulfilled, where he'd come to live a perfect life, a sinless life, die in our place and rise three days again. And the promise that's coming again where he said, the first time I came as a Savior, the second time I'm coming as a King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The second time I'm coming to set up my eternal kingdom that never will fade away. And so we, we look back thanking him that he did come and remembering that he's going to come again. So Advent is a, really a time for us to step back from the, the busyness of the season and really see the great salvation that God has given to the world. See, we, because of God, we have a reason to hope in this fallen world. If you look at the world around you, you look at the news, you look at the economy, you look at the political realm. There's not a lot of hope there. I mean, you, you, you look, oh, my, my hopes in the coming up presidential election. That's a stupid place to put your hope. Because even if your guy wins, that's not the hope we need. Well, my hopes in my, 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 uh, my, my stock options, my hopes in Bitcoin. You know, a couple, you know, six months ago, everybody had, uh, was in Bitcoin, and man, it was going great. They were making all kinds of money. Uh, if you had all your money in Bitcoin, you are in a sore place right now uh, because it all lost its value. And if you're like, what's Bitcoin? Don't worry about it. Uh, it's not important. Don't care about it. But if your hopes and things of this world, then you're, gonna, you're, you're going to find yourself very hopeless. Our hope is not dependent, as believers, our hope is not dependent on our circumstances. Our hope is not dependent on what is going around us. Our hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So today, as we begin the season of Advent, I want us to think about the, re the reality of our hope, not just the feelings of hope. And biblical hope is different than what we consider hope today. Biblical hope is a confident trust that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're facing, God will keep his word. So look over in Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're not going to read the typical uh, Christmas story that we see uh, every year on the Charlie Brown Christmas special. We all know that. Uh, we're going to go a little bit further in the, in the story, and we're going to look at chapter number 2, verse number 25. Luke 2, chapter 25, it says, And behold, there is a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Now, the, the consolation of Israel there, if you have a different uh, translation, it may say the restoration. That's literally what it means. He was, he was looking forward to and waiting for the fulfillment of God's word to restore Israel and to send the Messiah to Israel. And it says, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Now, you got to remember, this is, is before Jesus had died before he had ascended to heaven and sent the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, to the church. Now, 
as New Testament believers living after the book of Acts, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit at salvation. When you are saved, the Holy Spirit indwells you, and you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you may not be listening to the Holy Spirit. You may not be living with, in, 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 the, the, in, subju- in subjection to the Holy Spirit. You may not be living as if the Holy Spirit lives in you, but if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit in you. But before God sent the Holy Spirit as a, another fulfillment of the promise of God, the Holy Spirit would come and go on certain people. We saw it all the time in the Old Testament. Uh, actually, as a matter of fact, Samson, you know, we, we all know the story of Samson, uh, one of God's judges. And we, we kind of, uh, as believers, we have this kind of fairy tale Sunday school image of the Old Testament stories like, like Noah and the flood. I've always wondered why we, we put murals of Noah and the flood in nurseries. It is a terrible story. God wiped out all of humanity and all of the animal kingdom except eight people on a boat and two of every kind. And we've got this, this story of, you know, this picture of Noah and his family smiling, fat and happy on a boat with all the animals smiling. Can you imagine being in that boat? There's a reason if you study the, how the boat was built, there were no windows on the sides. You know why? Because if you look out the boat, of the side of the boat out a window during the flood, you know what you're going to see? Floating dead people. Not a great story. So we have these kind of veggie-tale, fairy-tale images, and Samson is one of them. Samson, man, he's a, a powerful man used by God, had great long flowing locks, and man, he killed a thousand people with a jawbone, and man, Samson, just a great story. Samson was a bad guy. Now, God used him, but he was, he was self-indulgent. He was selfish. He was a wicked man, disobeyed God at every turn. But the Bible says the Spirit came upon him more than anybody else in the Old Testament. So God would send his Spirit onto people to use them for a time, and then the Spirit would leave. But Simeon is a good, godly man. He's a devout believer that God is going to send the Messiah. And so the Holy Spirit is upon him. It didn't just come, bless him one day, and leave. He lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, which shows us how good he was, how much of a follower of God he was. And look at verse 26. And it was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now again, Christ is not, you know, we think Jesus Christ, his last name is Christ. Christ is not his name. Christ is his title. It literally means Messiah. So it's saying you're not going to die until you see God's Messiah, until you see the fulfillment of God's promise to the world. Verse 27, and he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, so Mary and Joseph this is very soon after Jesus' birth. Usually in this tradition, you would take the child to the temple uh, to be blessed and kind of like a dedication to God. And so they're bringing, this is before the wise men showed up. If your nativity scene has the wise men there at baby Jesus, your nativity scene is biblically incorrect. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, judge you for it, but God will. Uh, no. <laughs> and so this is before the wise men showed up. And so they come to the temple to, to kind of dedicate Jesus to the Lord. And Simeon is there. He's not, a, he's not a high priest. He's not really a worker at the temple. He's just, he's very devout. He is there worshiping God. And they come in to dedicate Jesus, and he's there. So he gets to see Jesus in verse 26. And he took him up in his arms 
and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So when we, we look at this, again, we kind of miss the scene of what's going on again. Mary and Joseph, they're bringing their newborn baby into the temple to be blessed, to be dedicated to God. Simeon's there. Simeon, he's an old guy. We know he's old because he says in a minute, Lord, now I can die. So he's this kind of old, weird dude that hangs out at the temple that just walks up to Mary and grabs her baby. Now, if, if you are, you know, you, you're, you're a church person and you come to church and you see a mom come in with her new baby, don't run up and grab the baby. Uh, don't, don't, I just, to me, that's always been weird. You know, it's RSV season and people are saying, don't kiss babies. I've always, I've always kind of shied away from that because I didn't like just random people at church coming up. Oh, your baby's so cute. Let me kiss it. No, stay off my kid. And so here's Mary. She's carrying her newborn baby. Yes, he's the son of God. Yes, it's the Messiah. But it's still, it's her baby. And she's trying to be protective. And, try, and here comes Simeon, this kind of weird old dude, just grabs him and says, oh, I'm going to bless this kid. And so, but they, he gives this kind of prayer and this blessing over Jesus. And Mary and Joseph are just, just marveling because they understand that he knows who Jesus is. Now, again, we know he's old because he said, the Bible says that God had promised him, you won't die until you see the Messiah. Once he sees Jesus, he goes, now I can die. Now I can die in peace knowing I've seen the promise of God. Now, we don't know a lot about Simeon. We don't know his, his job. We don't know his lineage. We don't know who his family is. We don't know his standing in the community. We do know he was very dedicated to God. He was completely dependent on God for everything in his life. And this, this passage here, it shows us three truths that we need to understand about the hope we have today thanks to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he came as a baby and the promise he will return one day. And so here's the first thing we know about hope. We, first of all, we see the act of hope. What does hope look like? In, in our life, what does hope look like? How do we express hope to the world? How do people see that we have hope in our world today? And how does it look like in, in Simeon's life? Well, the Bible tells us that he was expectantly waiting for the Messiah. Now, in, in Hebrew, the word hope literally means to wait, but it has a deeper meaning than just waiting for something. The root word for hope means to stretch like a string. Hope has some tension to it. It's kind of like these guitar strings. They're, they're stretched as tight as they should be. You start cranking on them more and you're going to snap them. And so they are, they are stretched and they, they are taunt. They are just waiting for someone to come 
and strum them and make some beautiful music. I would do it, but it's not going to be beautiful music if I do it. So hope is the eager anticipation for something great to happen. Uh, you know, it's how, how kids feel at Christmas. If you've got little kids and, you know, Christmas starts coming and, you know, you, our kids are, you know, they're a little older and uh, it's still, but it's still bad. You know, we start putting presents under the tree and they're, especially Lexa, she's digging under the tree. Who's this present for? And she's shaking it and she counts them. She's like, well, Connor has four presents and I only have three presents, but Parker's got six presents. What's going on with that? And so, you know, they don't understand that, you know, yeah, you may have less presents, but it may cost as much or cost the same for yours. They don't get that. So if we do that, we have to go to the dollar store and get her two more presents just so it matches and she doesn't get mad at us. But, you know, they're expect kids, especially they're they're eagerly waiting for that that Christmas morning where they can wake up and go into the living room and see all the presents and see what Santa Claus brought them and open them up and just have a wonderful and then never play with those toys again. But they are looking forward to that day. They are eagerly anticipating the coming of Christmas morning. That's what hope is. It is eagerly anticipating God fulfilling his promise to come again and make all things new. See, we think of waiting. We think of going to the DMV. Anybody like going to the DMV? No. It is terrible. And look, even now, since COVID, they're like, oh, well, you can make an appointment and we'll see you at your appointment time. A couple, uh, several months ago, someone stole the, the plates off the church van. I had to go get new plates. And I called and I made an appointment. I'm like, oh, yeah, come here at 1 o'clock. We'll get you in between 1 and 2. So I get there. I didn't get in until like 4.45. I'm like, I made an appointment. I got a number. This is just ridiculous. But nobody likes, wait. nobody likes waiting for the doctor to come in. You know, when I had my, uh, several weeks ago, when I had my emergency appendectomy and went to the emergency room and they saw me right away, but then I had to go to another, they shipped me over to Lewis Gale Hospital, and then I had to wait for the doctor to come in and do surgery. And they wouldn't give me any pain medication. I mean, I was, I was in excruciating pain. I was, you know, I, 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 I cried. I'm not ashamed of it. I cried like a baby. And they weren't helping. And so I was eager. I was like, man, just please, doc. And when the doctor finally came in and she, they wheeled to the emergency, to the operating room, and her and the anesthesiologist trying to explain to me what they're going to do, like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And I'm like, I don't care what you're going to do. Knock me out. I've been waiting for this for so long. Just fix the problem. And that, it's kind of that a- eager anticipation that everything's going to be fixed and I'm going to wake up and feel great. And I woke up and did not feel great, but I felt better, and that was the important thing. But it's that eager anticipation that, God, this world hurts. This world is a mess. I am just eagerly waiting for you to come and fulfill your promise. And that's how Simeon was. God, the world's a... And look, his world and his time was just as bad, if not worse, than ours. And he was like, God, you promised to send your Messiah to save us. Here's a, Simeon wasn't waiting for God to send because many people missed Jesus because they expected him to come as a conquering king. He knew that's not how he was coming. He just he was eagerly waiting to see the fulfillment of God's promise of salvation. And so Simeon, he's eagerly waiting with this patient. He prays. 
He watches. He is looking forward to God fulfilling his promise. So how did his life look? What was his act of hope? He devoted himself to walking with God. The Bible says he was a righteous man. He treated people well. He obeyed the law of God. Peter tells us how to live the same way today. So look over in 2 Peter chapter number 3. Verse number 11, you don't got to flip there, I'll just read it for you, uh, if you can't get there real fast. 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 11, it says, Seeing then that these things shall be dissolved, talking about the world. Look, the world we live in is going to, the Bible tells us, melt with fervent heat one day. Everything we see will be destroyed. That, that car you love will be destroyed. See, that's why I don't buy nice cars. It's going to be destroyed anyway. Why am I going to spend $40,000 on a Tesla when it's just going to burn up one day? I'll take my five grand and buy a 1999 Ford Explorer. Now I'll have a better time with it. Uh, that's, that's one reason. The other reason is I couldn't afford a Tesla if I wanted one. Uh, but, you know, that's, you know, so all these things. And look, I love classic cars. I would love to get a 1978 Bronco. And restore, oh man, and restore it. Now, I, my gas bill wouldn't love it, but I would love it. Four-wheel drive, five-speed, restore that thing. I would love that. But even if I was able to get one and I was able to restore it and make it pristine, it's going to burn up one day. That house you spend so much time on, it's going to burn up one day. Now, I'm not saying don't, don't take care of stuff and, you know, like, oh, well, my house is going to burn up. Might as well not fix it. Why clean? It's just going to burn up one day. We don't know what day that is. So clean your room, kids. Uh, so, you know, I'm not saying I don't, I don't care about stuff, but our, our hope's not in our house. Our hope's not in our stuff. It's all going to burn one day. And Peter says, one day it's all going to burn up. So, what, you know, what are you worrying about? He goes, uh, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for the hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So Peter says, look, Everything's going to be destroyed one day. So how should you live in this present world? You should be, uh, you should, what manner of persons ought you to be? Then he says, holy conversation and godliness. Now, conversation in the Greek word literally means your manner that you live your life. It's your conduct. It's your behavior. Peter says this world's going to be destroyed one day. So how should you live? You should live holy. You should treat people with kindness. You should obey the law of God. According to Peter, the truth that the world would be destroyed and remade, it gives us hope. And that hope should change how we live. It should change how we treat people. It should change how we follow God. Hope is seen in how thankful we are to what God has given us, no matter the circumstances that we are facing in life. It is seen in living a life devoted to God instead of distracted by the things of the world. While we wait, we have hope. And it's seen in how we live our life for God. So first we see the act of our hope. Secondly, we see the reason for hope. Again, there's not a lot of things in this world that we can find hope in. 
If you, you, you look for hope in your health, it can be gone in a second. You can, you can do everything right. You can you know, wake up in the morning and, and drink a kale smoothie and run 12 miles, although I will remind you the Bible says the wicked man run when no one's chasing him. So, you know, if you want to be wicked, you do that. Uh, and, you know, Paul, you know, even Timothy said, hey, bodily exercise don't, act, don't, don't, don't matter much. So, but, you know, you can live a healthy life. You can do everything right and die, die in a car crash. Drop dead of a, of, a, of a heart attack. Again, I've told you about my algebra teacher. Marine, very healthy, ran, biked. Did everything right, ate healthy, looked great. I mean, he looked very healthy one day riding his bike, heart attack and died. Nobody expected it. No warning signs at all. You could go to the doctor and fight a dark spot on your lungs that you, and you've never smoked a day in your life, but cancer comes to anybody. You can't put your hope in those things. So in our world, there's not a place as we find hope, and that was true in, in Simeon's day. Israel, at this time... They're controlled by the vicious Roman Empire. The Romans weren't a, a very generous conqueror. They didn't come in and conquer people like, okay, we don't want to hurt you. We're just going to make your life better. No, they were cruel and vicious. When they came in and destroyed, they would murder all the men. They would enslave the women and the children. It was a brutal or empire to live under. And then they had the Jewish leaders who were very corrupt and used the Roman Empire to their advantage and to hurt people they didn't agree with. The income gap at this time, I know we talk about the income gap and income inequality in, in today's uh, culture in the world, but the income gap at this time was the largest it had ever been at any time in history. You were either very, very wealthy or dirt poor. There was no middle class. There was no in-between. You were either extremely well-off or you were begging for everything you could have. Uh, we have the same reason to hope that he did. God had made not just the world a promise, God had made him a promise. He said, Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the salvation that I had promised. And that promise was fulfilled. He was waiting for the restoration of Israel. He was waiting for the promised Messiah that God would send. And this promise goes all the way back to the, the Garden of Eden. You know, when we, you read this Genesis, you see Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, you see the fall of mankind where they, they eat of the, for, the forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They hide themselves, they clothe themselves in fig leaves, and God casts them out of the garden. God kicks them out of his presence. But he says, I'm going to make a way for you to come back. That's the first promise of the, of the Savior. Where God said, yeah, I, you, you cannot be in my presence, but I'll fix it one day. I'll make everything good and the way it should be one day. It's also seen clearly in the, the, the kingdom of David. David was God's chosen king over Israel. He led Israel to incredible victories. He brought the kingdom together and took them to the greatest military height they'd ever seen. But David died. So if Israel's hope was in King David, their hope failed. But God promised one day, I'll send someone through the line of David 
that will sit on his throne forever. After David's death, uh, the kingdom is divided. They're conquered. They're taken into exile. Eventually, they're able to return, and the Jews, after a return from Babylon, they rebuild Jerusalem. They rebuild the temple, waiting for God to send the throne, rebuild the palace so that one day the promised Messiah has a place to rule and to reign. But after it's all rebuilt, for 500 years they wait, and God doesn't send the promised king. So a lot of people think that he wasn't going to keep his word. They stopped hoping. In the, but in the fullness of time, in God's perfect timetable, he sends Jesus as the perfect promised Messiah to restore man to God. But despite the time that they lived in, despite the, the long wait from the promise in Genesis 3 until the birth of Jesus, despite everything, Simon spent his life remembering the promises of God. He remembered that God always kept his word. So no matter what was going on around him, he had hope that since God always kept his promises, he would keep that promise as well. And he did. We have the same reason to hope. God has never broken his word. God has always kept his promise. We can, pro can have hope in the promises of God. But look, we don't have hope just in the promise that God said, I'll come back and get you one day. We have hope in the promises that God said, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. While you're on this earth dealing with the struggles and the pain and the hurt, I'm going to be with you. We have hope in the promise that God said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to guide you and to comfort you and to help you in this fallen world. We have hope that God said, if you, I be lifted up, I will build my church. I will do what's necessary to, to get the gospel to the world. We have the promises of God. Simeon had a reason to hope because God always keeps his word, and we have the same reason to hope today. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, we have hope that God keeps his word. Third thing we want to notice is number three, the object of hope. I want to make sure the projector's still working because it kind of went funky on us last week. The object of hope. Now, the object of his hope is, is obvious. His hope was in Jesus Christ. The Bible says he was able to hold the baby Jesus. Can, can you imagine that? Now look, I know a lot of people probably got to hold Jesus. You know, aunts, uncles, neighbors, kind of weird grandmother figures in the, in, the, in the neighborhood that just like kissing babies that even aren't their babies. How do you know that? Because they're, they're around today. But can you imagine? I mean, I always think, you know, there's that song at Christmas, Mary, did you know? Mary knew, by the way. But can you imagine holding the Savior? Knowing this is, this is the one God had promised to come and die for us. I mean, imagine Mary as she was just so privileged and so honored to be used by God to sin, to bring forth the Messiah. But here's Simeon. He wasn't there at the birth. He wasn't there at the conception. He wasn't there. But he's, he's, he's holding the fulfillment 
of God's promise. He wasn't hoping, here's the thing, he wasn't hoping in a thought. He was hoping in a person. And the hope of all mankind is not in a fuzzy feeling. It isn't in some wonderful idea. The hope of all mankind is in the person of Jesus Christ. Christmas reminds us that God became a man. God entered space and time, and he took on flesh. That God experienced everything we experience. The Bible says he knows how we, he was tempted in all manner as we were. God experienced life just like we do. Jesus felt pain. Jesus felt joy. Jesus laughed. He enjoyed laughter. Jesus enjoyed food. Jesus enjoyed sleep. Say, so how do you know he enjoyed sleep? Because we see him sleeping. Jesus liked to sleep. Sleep is a gift of God. And man, I love it. That's one of his greatest gifts to mankind, isn't it? Of course, then he also gave us kids, which kind of steal sleep. But anyway, Jesus enjoyed food and laughter and sleep. Jesus prayed. Jesus walked. Jesus, he, he, he enjoyed playing as a child. All of it. Now, can you imagine playing hide-and-seek with Jesus? He knows everything. You go hide. There you are. But anyway, I don't know if that's how it went. But he enjoyed all the things in life. Jesus is not just some sentimental reminder of God's love. He is the hope for a better world. He is the fulfillment of God's promise. He is what we put our hope in. He says that he is the hope that we are looking for. So look in chapter... Um, Luke 2 again, look at verse number 30. It says, For mine eyes have seen my salvation, which thou preparest, uh, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. He is alluding here. What, what Simeon is saying is he's, he's kind of quoting several passages from the book of Isaiah that are prophecies of Jesus. Isaiah 49 says, He is a light. Uh, it is a light thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Isaiah 52, 10. The Lord has bared his, bared his holy arm in the eyes of all nations and the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Through Jesus, God showed the world his strength. Salvation is only something that God can accomplish. Isaiah 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the hand of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. See, Jesus is the Messiah that God promised, not just to the nation of Israel, but to the entire world. He is the hope of all nations. Jesus is a light in darkness. You know, we know intuitively that our world is not what it should be. Our world is broken. Simeon then makes a prophecy. He says that Jesus is going to cause the rising and falling in Israel. Here's what he's talking about. Those who put their pride and their hope and kind of their spiritual ancestry, the Pharisees and Sadducees who 
My hope's not in the Messiah. My hope's in that I'm a good person and I know the law of God. I obey the law of God. I live a good life. I am a righteous person. He says they will have no place in God's kingdom. They're going to fall because their hope isn't in the Messiah. Their hope's in themselves. But those who throw themselves on God's mercy, they will rise and have a place in God's kingdom. Then he has a, a personal message to Mary. He says in verse 35, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. Of course, he's, he's reminding her that, yes, you've, you've got this beautiful baby, this wonderful child who, you know, this promised Messiah. And, you know, no matter who you are, you know, babies, to you, babies are always, you know, just precious and beautiful when a mother has a baby and a father has a baby. And they just, man, my baby's so beautiful. And look, I'm going to be honest with you. There are some ugly babies out there. But to the mom and dad, their babies are beautiful. Now, if, I'm never going to tell you your baby's ugly. I'll tell April your baby's ugly. But I'm never going to tell you your baby's ugly. Because to you, your baby's so precious. And, you know, it's just, oh, babies smell so good. And you know, How many of y'all think babies smell great? Yeah, until they poop. And look, I hate to tell you, Jesus pooped. Uh, so how do you know that? Because everybody poops. Um, but anyway, so Mary's got this precious baby, and it's just so sweet, and she's enjoying the, the being a new mom and just a precious time together. But Simeon reminds her, you know, he's, he's, he's a precious baby now, and the time with him is sweet now, but one day he's going to die on a cross. One day he's going to absorb the wrath of God for all sins. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be bloodied. He's going to be hung between heaven and earth, and he's going to die for all mankind's sins. And Mary, you're going to have to see it. I mean, Mary knew this was coming, but again, put yourself in the place of Mary at the cross watching her baby, her firstborn, suffer and die for, nothing, for something he didn't do. He was completely innocent, but he was suffering and dying for us. He reminds her, Mary, man, it's, it's precious now, but salvation comes at a cost. Redemption comes at a cost. And God is going to have Jesus die for all of mankind. You know, he, just, he gave Mary a glimpse of the future anguish she would face one day. But here's the thing. When we trust in the work of God and the work of Jesus on the cross on our behalf, we have hope that God forgives us and God accepts us and God restores us because that's what God said he would do in his word and God always keeps his word. See, all the merit of uh, God gives his Holy Spirit to us so we no longer live under the shadow of death. And then, of course, Jesus suffered, and he bled, and he died, but then he rose again. And the resurrection reminds us and gives us hope that he died like he said he would, he rose like he said he would, so he's coming back just like he said he would. 1 Peter 1 says, Blessed be the God, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy... He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have 
a present hope, and we have a living hope through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a future hope that because Jesus has risen, we know he will come again. Jesus is the object of our hope. We have hope even in this fallen, broken world. Even when we are in pain, even when we feel sorrow, we have hope. This world is not all there is. And isn't that wonderful? You know, aren't you so great? Look, every, every winter, I think, God, why didn't you call me to Hawaii or Jamaica or somewhere? I hate, the older I get, the more I hate winter. I hate cold. I despise snow. And everybody's saying, this is going to be such a snowy winter. I'm like, I, I hate every one of you that likes snow. I got people on my Facebook feed. It starts one flurry. They're like, oh, it's snowy. Oh, this is so wonderful. And I'm like, there's a special place in hell for people like you. They're believers, so not. But anyway, I'm like, I hate snow. And people that love snow and like, oh, I'm praying for snow. I'm like, well, we'll see who God loves more. Because I'm praying for global warming, buddy. And, uh, but anyway, I hate winter. I, but I can know I may suffer through some winters here. I may have to shovel some snow. I may have to get cold. But one day, it's going to be 72 and sunny all of eternity. So how do you know that? Because that's my heaven right there. My heaven right there is just 72 and sunny all the time. That I never got to sweat. I never got to put on a sweater. It's just beautiful weather all the time. That, yeah, the earth here, the weather here can stink. But this world ain't all I got coming to me. One day, God's going to make everything as it should have been. One day, God's going to make all things new, a new heaven, a new earth, and there will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more tragedy. There won't be any hurricanes. There won't be any forest fires. There won't be any earthquakes. And for those of you that love snow, I'm sorry, there'll be no snow. Or maybe there will be and it just won't be cold. I don't know. We'll figure it out one day. But the, for me, there'll be no snow. For me, it's going to be heaven, and I'm going to be sunny on the beach all of eternity. It's going to be great. But this world's not all there is. My hope's not in just one day. Well, maybe one day I can get Because, look, even if one day I get to retire to Florida, you know what Florida's got? Alligators and snakes. And I hate alligators and snakes. they got hurricanes. They get, so no matter where you go in the world, it's like, oh, it's paradise. No, there's, there's no perfect place on this earth. Yet, but one day, all things will be new. One day, all things will be perfect again. We can live in hope and confidence and as we trust in the promises of God. So here's the thing. This, this first, season of, first Sunday of Advent, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you've understood you're a sinner, deserving of, worthy of hell, but that God loved you so much, he came as Jesus, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, absorbed the wrath of God for your sins, and rose again to redeem you to God the Father, and the only thing you got to do to go to accept his salvation is put your faith and trust in that. If you've done that today, no matter what you're facing on this earth, you have hope that God kept his word, 
over 2,000 years ago when he sent his son to be a savior. So God's going to keep his word that he's coming again one day. Here's the thing. We don't know when that day is. That day could be today. Before we dismiss in prayer, God could come back. The trumpet could blow, the dead in Christ should rise, and none of those of us which are alive and remain, we will be caught up with them in the air. Say, what's going to happen then? April will close in prayer, and I don't know what she'll do with the church after that. <laughs> but I know he's coming back one day. He's coming to get me one day. I'll enjoy a seven-year uh, meal with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then, of course, after all the Stuff on the earth and the tribulation and the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ and all that stuff. There's a lot going on we can't get into. But I know one day, he'll make all things new. One day, he'll wipe away every tear. One day, he'll, he'll restore heaven and earth to what it should have been in the garden. And we will enjoy the presence of God for eternity. And look, I joke that all oh, the new earth is going to be 72. You know, it doesn't matter to me if, if the new heaven and the new earth is a blank void with nothing in it, or if it's winter all the time. If God's there, that's all that matters. That's the greatest promise. Not that, oh, one day the earth will be perfect. Oh, one day there'll be no more weather, bad weather. One day we will enjoy the presence of God for all of eternity. That's the greatest hope we have. And if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, that's your hope today. You may not feel it, but you have hope. God has not abandoned us. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.